0: Being an entrepreneur can be a lonely place. Most businesses don't even get past the first three years. So in this series, we're gonna be talking to entrepreneurs that are high-performing or high-performing businesses that can help you with hints, tips, and hacks to help you fast-forward your way to success. My name's Mark Burgess. I've got over 20 years experience working as an entrepreneur, building up various different businesses. I've wrote a best-selling book. I speak nationally and internationally at different conferences, and this is Raising Your Game. On this episode of Raising Your Game, I talk to Mark LaRouste. Mark talks about how you engage your staff, how you motivate people. He's done talks at Google and Amazon, all kinds of companies. He goes in and he helps, and he helps them understand what actually makes people tick, and it's not about money. Okay, Mark, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Before we uh, dig into anything, Mm. are you all right just to give people a bit of a background on yourself? Just let them know what you do, who you are, that sort of thing? sure.
1: Um, so I guess uh, one, of the, one of the things I'd start off is I, I used to be a professional moustache farmer uh, <laughs> for four years. So I was a country manager at the November Foundation. Uh, those was responsible for, for men around the world to rock a moustache in, in November for a great cause. So I did that for four years. Uh, it was amazing, raised 2.8 million euros for men's health, got 110,000 people to sign up, won a bunch of awards. And one of the things that I thought was pretty crazy is that during that time... I'd go in offices, you know, from the big banks to pubs and communities and tech companies. And it was like the highlight of the year, you know, to to have a bit of band, to have a bit of a camaraderie, camaraderie, I guess, people coming together. And I thought, surely we should be having something going on all year round in companies that make people feel excited about showing up to work, not just because you're rocking a Mm moustache. And so I decided to uh, to set off and and start my own business. Uh, And it started off with a very kind of crazy ambition plan to start a podcast that was 2015, called The Unconventionalists. And I was trying to seek out thought leaders, uh, pioneering business leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, uh, in all different disciplines to try and understand what makes someone great when they decide not to take the conventional path. Now, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty much sure that I'm gonna be the first guest or the only guest that doesn't come with a shirt with a blazer, but it was just the idea that there's a different way of doing things. And that led me on the path of being invited to go and talk in one company about how to find meaning and purpose at work, which I thought was a bit crazy, because you know, I'd left my company and I started my own job that I know we're struggling with millennials. Like we have this big problem with millennials, engaging, attracting and retaining millennials. And we think that you'd be a good fit for our, for our company. So I'm going to give them shout outs into it. They were one of the first companies clients I had and I went in and I realized that, wow, actually in every company, in every industry, There are people, and where there's people, there's pain, and where there's pain, there's also hope. So that's what I do. I founded a company called Ministry of Purpose, and I go and and help companies create workplaces that
0: people get excited to come on Monday morning. Wow. And how's the the Unconventionalist podcast going?
1: Yeah, really well, actually. It's been four years, uh, 130 episodes. We're wrapping up season 13, so we're kicking off season 14. Uh, Got some amazing sponsors on board. Um, 110,000 downloads, but beyond that, it's... Six thousand plus minutes of powerful conversations that have changed people's lives you know like i'm sure with your show as well you'll get messages from people saying thank you so much for introducing me to this guest or for sharing that story you know it made me feel less alone yeah um yeah
0: it's been a lot of fun yeah yeah i'm sure okay so um the average workplace that you're going into um do you find that they're all in the same sector? Do you normally work in the same sector, or are they yeah, no? So
1: they tend to be yeah, there? they tend to be different sector. But I'll tell you what. What's really interesting is that there's been a mix of kind of corporate, traditional companies. So usually insurance, banks, that kind of traditional model, who usually bring me in because they feel like they need someone a little bit different than what they usually get when it comes down to talking to the people. So I think because I'm rocking a beard, I've got kind of th- <laughs> thick frame glasses. I don't know what it is, but I'll go in there. But the the companies who I I find fascinating to work with are people who are disrupting their industry, whether that's in detergent products, whether that's a charity, it doesn't matter. It's, it's leaders who are, who are thought-provoking leaders who are willing to do things differently. Because mm-hmm. I think it takes a lot of courage for a company and a leader to bring someone in to be able to understand how can we do things better. Like what's getting in the way of doing our best work? To ask yourself that question, I think it takes a lot of courage and, and those tend to be the people I work with.
0: It's a really interesting subject. I've been having a lot of conversations with it recently um, with uh, some of my people. Do you think uh, a lot of the companies that bring you in mm. are s- still working to uh, something that, that uh, has become known in our, in our company as Motivation 2.0, whereby like it's the carrot and the stick yeah. to try to motivate people yeah. when actually um, we have probably evolved a little bit from that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So usually people reach out to me. So like 98% of my business is inbound. So people contact me, reach out, and they'll usually say, we'd love for you to come in and can you talk about, you know, how to create a a happy and more human workplace or how can we find meaning and purpose in the work that we do? And usually that often is followed up by the following statement, but we don't want people to leave as a result of it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And we want more sales. Yeah, and and so I laugh
1: and I kind of go, so do you know how crazy that is? That is like saying that if you're in a relationship with someone and you told your partner, your wife, um, I really want you to go out there and explore the things that make you come alive, but not if you're going to leave me. <laughs> That's conditional love. And, and and so it's the same thing in the workplace. And, and it's kind of, I, I kind of laugh and usually we have a good laugh and then they understand. And, and I, I go in there saying, look, I'm just going to be very truthful. And one of the things that we try and create are, you know, psychological safety is a study that was done by Aristotle with Google about one of the, five pioneering uh, skills that every high-performing team need. And it's about creating that environment where people feel like I'm not in there to judge, I'm not in there to tell people what to do, I'm, not, I'm just there to say, hey, here's some ways that people are using that might be helpful, what's happening here, what could be helpful to you? And we have that conversation. Um, and the one thing that's clear is that bean bags, fruit bowls, free yoga, and Kumbachan tap isn't the solution you know, especially for younger generations. because I spend a lot of time talking about younger generation and, you know, millennials, Gen Z. Um, And I think it's great to have bean bags, like don't get me wrong, ping pong tables, great, all that stuff. But very quickly, you realise that you're just trying to, you know, put a cover on on the wound and you're not actually going, what's really needed. And what people need is meaning and purpose in the work they do.
0: Yeah. Okay, I mean, this is, this is going to spiral now because uh, <laughs> this is going to get into it. a lot of the ways that I think about things yeah. and some of the challenges that we face. Mm. Um, so, this is just going to become a, like a therapy session. Yeah, please. Uh, it's um, it's why, well, you know, I've had people cry. <laughs> just, just so you know. So, you can go. so, we used to have a company that was all about like, beanbags and PlayStations yeah. and that, and we thought that made, gave us culture. Yeah. Um, actually, we since realised that, that that doesn't give you culture, oh. um, it just gives you beanbags and PlayStations. Like, yeah. what's the point? Mm. Um, and eventually, we we, we realized what, what what culture was, and we created the culture. And, and permanently, is a, uh, I'm I'm always reflecting on how that works. Yeah. My idea behind it is based around the idea that uh, if you give people a safe environment to work, so they they it's not all about the salary, but obviously they want a good salary yeah. for what they're doing, mm. so they feel like they they want to be paid fairly. Yeah, they want to be yeah. paid fairly. Um, and uh, you give people uh, the ability to enjoy their work yep. and then you just get out of their way mm. um, Where the problem maybe sometimes comes is what if you do that mm. and uh, people just head off in a direction that you wasn't you didn't want
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting question, right? It's, it's the whole thing about, um, you know, how do you set up the foundations in place so you can then unleash your talent? Mm. I think that, that's the question that you're really asking is, you know, how much is too, too much micromanagement? What is actually too, too much of free open space? And, and then, so there's, there's a great um, quote I always, I always often used from Jocko Willings, who's, you know, got an American uh, podcast, ex-US Navy SEAL. He says that any problem in your company, any issue in your company is a leadership problem. So you need to take responsibility for any problem, any, any issue that's happened, whether that's talent that you hired that wasn't the right talent, whether that's you didn't set the right mission, you didn't give the right vision, you didn't give the right tools, whatever it is, you must first start with going, oh, that's on me. And then the second thing is, is you know, in, in your example, if you, you realize that, you know, you're like, hey, you know what, we're not gonna tell you what to do, go and do off your thing. Actually, what you found is that a lot of people need a little bit of structure mm. and, and everyone's gonna work differently. And I think that's one thing that's really interesting. One of my big kind of quote, and. And, and a book project that, you know, I've just started to sort of talk with literary agents, it's being yourself is good for business. And and it's a stake I take in this world, and it's something I'm trying to go into companies and, and share saying, look, what people ultimately want is to be themselves at work. Because if you can show up at work without having to put a mask on, if you can show up at work without having to check yourself out before you you rock up, you're just going to become in a more full self. And if you have more full self, you can bring more to the bottom line. So it actually impacts companies in a really positive way to allow their people to show up as who they are. But what does that mean? I gave a talk at IPG Autumn and had a great question from someone saying, we're in a very professional, you know, regulated industry. What if someone wants to rock up with pink hair and like funky jackets? And I was like, well, first of all, you've got to, you've got to check with yourself what are your assumptions that you're making? Are you attached to this idea that the only way you can do the greatest work is to have a suit and have a shirt. I mean, today, and I'm kind of joking, but one of the things I've started realizing is that we can conform to a certain way of doing work because we've always done it that way. We've always had shirts and suits and blazers when you come in, in an official um, you know, event. What I've realized actually, I'm really comfortable in a t-shirt, I'm, I'm comfortable in my jean, and for some people that will resonate, some people it won't, and that's okay, I'm not here to help everyone, right? But, but if you can actually enable your people to say, look, here's, here's what we want to go, Right, there's, I think it's Saint, um, Saint-Exupéry, the little prince, the, the guy who wrote The Little Prince, uh, said something, I'm going to completely butcher the quote, so please apo- apologize in advance, but he says, uh, if you want to build a boat, don't, assor- like, don't assign people tasks to go and cut wood, make them long for the ocean and the adventure, and, and they're going to figure it out. But then your role as a leader is to go, hey, here's the vision, here's the mission, I believe this is the right team for us to get there, Here's what we're going to need. Here's what we know we need. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we need to figure out. And then you adjust that as you go along. Yeah. So whether that's bringing someone and saying, hey, you know what? It's on me. I forgot to actually tell you that we don't scream at clients. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. that's not okay. I'll give, you, I'll give you this one notice now, but that's not cool. And so you, you've just got to figure out how can I take on the responsibility and how can I, and I rein things in? Yeah.
0: Uh, the, the answer I guess to the person's question who asked about what if people come with pink hair yeah. you're not expressing the vision clear enough of yeah. who we're trying to attract yeah, because that I, person wouldn't want to that's work that's for you exact, in the first that's place that's exactly
1: right it's exactly, it's exactly, you're on it And because so, I said to I said look you might also want to say hey actually I'm really sorry that we, we didn't tell you that the reason why we actually have these suits and, and it's because we want to represent a certain standard and this is a standard that we believe will make a difference in the world now we understand that this may not be the right standard for you, and we would love to help you find something that's going to help you. Better. But if you want to help us achieve this mission, then we'd, we'd love for you to come on board. Yeah. I, th- I think all it is, it's, it's what I, I call, because I talk again a lot about millennials and Gen Z, right? I often say we're a contextually-based, purpose-driven generation. All that means is that a lot of people say, oh, they're difficult. You know, a lot of people call me up, with having problems managing, they're difficult to deal with. And you're approaching it automatically from a very conflictual perspective. Whereas all it is, it's we're coming up with a generation of the ask questions. Mm. And for a lot of people, you know, a lot of generations, whether that's Gen X, baby boomers, they haven't been brought up in the same generation of being okay to ask questions. So for them, it almost feels threatening or undermining mm. or challenging or rude. Or... Or rude. And, and instead it's just going, we just need to understand. Yeah. That's it. So yeah. It's just like, hey, you want me to rock up in a suit? Cool, explain why. Yeah. And then, then I'm on board.
0: Yeah. Okay, we have to go to a break. Yep. I want to dig into millennials a bit more. Don't go away. Okay, welcome back. So, before the break, mm. we just started talking about uh, millennials, yeah. motivating millennials, yeah. uh, how an older generation can see them as lazy or mm. rude, that sort of stuff. Um, I, When I talk to a lot of our clients about millennials, um, I say a similar sort of thing in the sense that most of our clients are based in a state agency, mm. and a lot of estate agencies are using really old bits of software, mm. um, and they complain that their, their staff just put information in this software and just sit and don't do anything proactive and i my point is like well it's not they're not doing anything they're expecting the computer to actually do something mm. they're not thinking that you're going to put it in a computer for no reason whatsoever yeah. they thought that there was a reason behind this <laughs> <laughs> the same with like they might complain about the fact that they're not loyal mm. and um, my sort of view on on that is that the entire world has changed around yeah. loyalty you know yeah. it's working with a millennial or with anybody today really is just should be considered like a tour of duty yeah can i jump jump in for a second yeah jump in jump uh, i want to
1: jump in because one of the things i often talk about which i think is if you want to connect some dots you okay look at the millennials right so if you look at for example i um, graduated around the financial crisis um Actually, no, what am I talking about? I did not graduate at all. <laughs> 2003, but I was working, right? So what I remember is this, is that my dad, this is a personal example. My dad worked in the same company for like 25 years of his life, right? And from one day to the next during the financial crisis was made redundant. And so what happened to an entire generation is that this ideal that we were sold, that if you work for the same company, that you're loyal for like 20, 30 years, you'll get that gold watch, you'll retire at 65, you might be a partner if you're in a company, that all disappeared because it became, oh, wait a minute. If I'm going to get like fired on, on the drop drop of a nickel because of some financial crisis, then why am I going to bother doing something I don't really want to do? And so that completely shifted the mentality around millennials for saying, actually, I'm going to go after whatever you want to do. And the reason why I'm mentioning this and why I wanted to jump in what you're saying is that, yeah, there's this idea that this whole concept of working for the same company 10, 20, 30 years is a little bit alien, right? And so. If you're not in conflict with reality as an employer, as a leader, and you understand, look, most of the people are going to come in my company. Some might stay five, ten years. Some might stay one or three years. I, I've got a friend um, who's twenty-six, something like that, and I remember him, him saying, "Like, I've learned everything I need to learn." I was like, "How long have you been in your company?" Like a year and a half. <laughs> and I was just like, "Wow, okay, really." And so, it's just the, 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 the space of time has just shortened. But if you're not in conflict with reality, here's what I would advise. I would say, and, and I stole this from Tom Bilu from Inside Quest, the the, the former uh, CEO and co-founder of of, uh, Quest Bar Nutrition, that was the second fastest uh, growing company in America. He basically said, when I hire someone, here's what I say. When I'm at my most selfish self, and you're at your most selfish self, can we still help each other and serve each other? What does that mean? That means that, Mm -hmm. what do you want to do after this? Like have a conversation open with put like, what do you really want to do? Because you might want to do this for the rest of your life, great, Most likely you might want to go and do something else. What do you want, I want to start my own company, I want to become a social media marketer, I want to become a, whatever it is, great. So what are you going to need to learn in order to get that? If you want to start your own company, what do you think you're going to need to learn? What do you need to still grow into? Great, because it just happens that we need, that particular role in our company to do effective work and we'd love for you to learn that to grow you into that and then let me help you go and and set up your business in three years time how different do you think that conversation would be with an employee if he knew or she knew that you were like genuinely saying look i understand that this might not be your end all i'm not attached to that it's like it's like this crazy reality that we all think that we all want to get married yeah and you're living in a world where people are like actually i want to date a bit mm. like i'm not quite committed yet and maybe i want to have different partners in different areas and and we've just got to accept that. And yeah. I think if you don't, you're going to really struggle to be relevant.
0: Yeah, um, I think uh, if <clears throat> if an employer, um, maybe it comes back to the first point that you were saying that it's a leadership problem because mm. a lot of companies seem to think, yeah, but I'm going to put all this time and effort, and I'm going to teach this person how to do this thing, and and then they're going to leave, and I'm going to start all over again. Yeah. Well, the problem is your systems are not that great yeah. because that doesn't happen at McDonald's. Yeah. People come and go like that and it doesn't change the service one little bit, yeah. you know, and, you, and people can't just leave an open McDonald's. Yeah. So you're actually what you're doing is you're bringing in somebody and saying, yeah. can you make my business better? Yeah. And then when he realises he is making the business better and goes and sets it up on his own, yeah. you think, he's, a, he's disloyal, yeah. Yeah. but he was doing it all anyway. Yeah. He wasn't reliant on your systems.
1: Yeah, the, 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 there's something along what, what comes up when you say that. There's also, again, I, I often draw my The first book I wrote was was called It's Not You, It's Me. It was comparing the the personal relationships with the relationships at work and how actually they're very, very intertwined and similar, right? And so you got to think about it. If you're in a transactional relationship, if you're in conditional love relationship, then it's I'm buying your time mm. and you owe me this work. And until that moment that you leave, I own you and you owe me this, right? Instead, again, I really want to kind of shift the conversation around, what if our, our responsibility, and Richard Branson said this best, I think he said, treat your people and grow them so much that they could leave, but treat them so well that they don't want to. Yeah. And, and I think that that is such a valuable lesson to go, it's counterintuitive to actually say, if I invest in you, if I take good care of you, you're going to leave. It's this idea that like, imagine if I bring Mark in and you come and do a workshop, a talk, or what have you, and then you want to leave. And there's, a, there's an inside joke that is often said about um, a CEO talking to a CFO and he wants to do this training and the CFO says, but what if we do this training and, and they leave and, you, and the CEO replies, what if we don't and they stay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like it's, it's this idea that don't be attached so much about keeping for the sake of keeping be attached to the idea of keeping the people who want to be there and who are the right fit to achieve that mission vision that you're trying to achieve. If they're not, I really don't believe that this idea of having zero turnover and turnaround is, is a bad idea.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I read a study the other day, I can't remember who it was by, but they, were, they got together all of these artists and they all brought in uh, work that they'd been commissioned to do yeah. and work that they was uncommissioned work. Yeah. And then they got all the artists together and they all judged all the paintings. Yeah. And all the uncommissioned work was yeah. the best work. Yeah. But, and it turned out that like they felt like once they were being paid to do the yeah. work, they were kind of forced to do this art. Yeah. But if they did it in their own time, yeah. well, of course it would be as best as it could possibly yeah. be. Why else would they be doing it? Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's finding that balance in a company of of course, we need to pay people. Yeah, um, But are they really motivated by a commission? Like, no. sell more, you I get mean, okay,
1: more? Okay, so here, here's the deal. Um, money gives you a certain life standard, right? There's a certain amount, actually, they did a study over 46,000 pounds, there was no difference whatsoever in your level of happiness. Anything above that didn't make a difference about how you felt. In fact, on, on the way over here, I was, I was talking to the cab driver, and we, haven't, we were joking about this, but there's, there's, there's this idea that people have about, I wanna become rich and famous and then I'll be happy. Here's the, here's the deal, people, it doesn't make you happy. Like um, Jim Carrey said it best, he said, I wish everybody was rich and famous so they could realize that it's not at all what they're looking for. And so, uh, if I sit here and say, money's not important. it's No, it's okay, like anything, money is important. We need, especially like if you're living in London, it's expensive. But where I think most companies and leaders go wrong is that you're, you're focusing on tactics, and you, you know, the bean bags, the fruit bowls, the commissions, all that stuff, that's great. Trust me, come up with a compelling vision. Come, come up with a core purpose that when you say it moves people, you will become unstoppable. You know, when I worked at Movember, it was funny, I was talking about my partner about this. Um, the reason why I joined Movember was that because this idea of stop men dying young. We're gonna have an everlasting impact on the face of men's health. We're gonna you know, talk about prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, and physical activity, and it spoke to me. We had some of the brightest people. Massive salary cuts. All of us took salary cuts to be able to work for a charity. I can tell you, we were all most, the most driven people you've come across, the most creative, resourceful people you've come across, because you have a purpose. This doesn't have to be charity. I often use them as an example, Sanctus, right, that was started by um, James Rutledge um, and George Bettany, they want to eradicate the taboo around mental health, okay? And their vision is to put the first mental health gym on the high street. That's a compelling vision. You can go, wow, yeah, that makes sense. How amazing would that be? We've got gyms, we've got yoga studios, but we don't have a mental health gym. That vision has now attracted over 13 permanent staff, 50 coaches and associates that joined them. It's in three years. They made the first seven-figure revenue after two and a half years. They've raised their second round of investment. Why? Because they've got a compelling mission and purpose. Mm. And, And if you want a hack, if there was ever a hack I could share with anyone listening to this, is have a good and deep think about what your meaning and purpose is of your company. If you don't have one, Here's The good news, you know, Daniel Preacy, you know, uh, we, we both know often says this the 17 United Nations, you know, goals is a direct hack to find a purpose,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, and we've we done exactly that, yeah. You know, we attached ourselves, we, we're selling the products and education to estate agents to make them better at what they do, yeah. We attach ourselves to this purpose that, like, actually, you know, what selling things to estate agents maybe it's not that inspiring, mm. um, but what if every time an estate agent decided to? improve their education and their business. Mm. Actually, we gave an education to an underprivileged child that otherwise wouldn't have had one. Now all of a sudden it's quite inspiring. We're not trying to sell more stuff to estate agents, we're trying to help more kids get an education. That's right. Um and you know we can see the impact that we're having and it inspires people to go like, I want to get involved in that. Yeah. Uh, Can I say one last thing about this? I know we're probably running out of time. Um
1: one of the last tips I want I wanna kind of leave people with is uh, narrow the space that it takes between people seeing the work that they do and the impact it's having. Okay, it doesn't matter who they are in your company, it doesn't matter where they stand in your company, everyone wants to know how the work I'm doing is having an impact on someone that needs it. So if you, for example, right, you're, 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 you're giving education to a group of kids, is there a way for you to take your whole company to go out to a school so they could hear stories of people who would have never had that education? Or could you bring them in your company so could their first hand say, look, I've been three years at, at school at this college. I would have never been if it wasn't thanks to your work help your people show and see that the work that they do matters. Because what happens when you end up working this huge company and corporates is that you feel like a clog in the peg and you, you feel like you're just a number. Yeah. And that's that's the kryptonite to, to success and high
0: performance. Yeah, incredible. Um, okay, we've got to wrap it up. If anybody wants to uh, connect with you or uh, make contact with you in any way, what's yeah. the best way for somebody Marketers. to
1: do it's kind of my, my home there. And anybody listening to this, if you've been moved or touched or interested or curious about what I've said, Go and check out, there's a documentary that Richard da Costa made about a, a talk I gave. It's five minutes on my website and it's brought people to tears. It's awesome. about the workplace, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, brilliant.